Good morning. We're all looking for guarantees in life, are we not? We go to buy something and I don't care what it is, they always try to sell you an extended warranty. Amen? You, you need to, to guarantee this pencil for the next three years. I mean, some of the things that they ask you for extended warranties on make no sense. But people buy them because we want a promise. We want to count on that thing working for at least three to four years, and so we're going to spend extra money. You would think maybe if they built it right in the first place, it would last three or four years. Amen? Amen. And things are built nowadays to wear out. As we think about promises in the Bible, sometimes we overstep the application of those promises. We treat it like a product guarantee. And sometimes when we take out those extended warranties and it sometimes fails and we take it back to the company that we bought it from and they'll say, this no longer works. And they'll look at it and it is very obvious that the product has been abused greatly by someone in your household. But you want them to make good on the product guarantee. As we look at the promises of God in the scriptures, we need to make sure that we are applying it properly, each promise. Now, by way of review, I said last week, a promise is only as reliable as the one who makes it. So this is by way of review. How do we know God is reliable? What's the answer? How do we know God is reliable? We said last week because of his character and his ability. When we talked about his character, what kind of things did we reference to say that helps us understand how reliable our God is because of his character? What kind of character traits did we talk about? Faithful, yes. Loving, yes. Truthful, yes. She has her notes in front of her from last week. That's okay. This is so critical because everything in the world around us wants us to doubt God. Amen? Doubt Him. Don't take his promises to the bank. Fret all you want because God may not show up this time. Hogwash. The character of our God says that we can count on him. I said also last week, the reason we can count on our God was because of his ability. And I said there were three things I wanted you to remember Three 25-cent theological words. And they were what? Omniscience means he knows everything. Omnipresent. Omnipresent means he's present everywhere. He knows about every one of us, every day. And what was the third thing I said? Omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Nothing. Remember the passage? Nothing is too hard for our God. 
And I don't know how messed up your family is or your finances are or relationships in your life. Can God handle any of those with both arms tied behind his back? He doesn't break a sweat. As I've said repeatedly from this pulpit, we never hear in heaven all of a sudden these words, "Uh uh-oh. Nothing takes God by surprise. He can handle it all. Now, I want us to look further at promises today in the Scriptures, but as I studied for this message, I realized that sometimes there are perils that we fall into as children of God, common mistakes that we make because we latch onto promises because of the need of the moment. They bring us comfort and assurance. But we may be claiming a promise that is not meant for us or doesn't fit because of our situation or we have misapplied the promise to the situation. And you're saying, how can we do that? Well, we do it all the time. So I'm going to look at five things this morning to help us clarify how to apply promises to our lives. The first peril in your outline, promise versus principle. Promise versus principle. If there is a promise from God that is meant for me, It is fulfilled, first and foremost, entirely by God. And secondly, if it is a promise, what percentage of the times does that promise come true if it truly is a promise? A hundred percent. No ifs, ands, or buts about the situation. One hundred percent. Principles, on the other hand, are general truths. They are without an absolute guarantee. They express a truth that are not always binding on God. They are just good wisdom. And so I'm going to give you examples of each of these. If you would turn with me to James chapter 1, verse 5, starting in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now verse 5 is the promise. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. That's a promise. The context of this promise is that we tend to struggle during times of trials. Amen? Do we struggle? Yes. And we need to have, in the midst of that trial, in the midst of that struggle, we need to have a godly perspective as we're going through these trying times. And I need wisdom to put it all in perspective. I'll tell you, it's a secret, but it's not a secret. Anyone who's come in for counseling or just questions, almost, I mean, I pray with you every time to start out, but I think almost every time that I pray, I pray for wisdom. 
I pray out loud for wisdom, for God to kind of put things in order so I can understand them. And if I didn't have God's wisdom, I could not bring God's answers to the situation. And I count on this verse being true. I'm asking God to give me a different perspective and really a godly perspective on the problems that person is bringing into my office. That's a promise. Now, if you would turn back to me in the Old Testament to Proverbs 22, verse 6, page 691 there in the Pew Bible, if you wish to follow along. Many of you as parents have memorized this passage. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The book of Proverbs is often mistaken for a book of promises. It's not. It's a book of principles. Proverbs 22.6 is generally true. It's full of wisdom. But Proverbs 22.6 does not guarantee that when I raise up my children in all the right ways, they will automatically turn out correct. Or have you all found that 100% true all the time? No. Why do I know it's a principle? Because I've read Genesis 3. God created Adam and Eve. He put them in the most blessed perfect environment that he could create called the Garden of Eden. He had walked with them in the cool of the morning in the garden every day. He was, in a sense, the perfect parent in the perfect environment. Therefore, he should have perfect children. Amen? But he didn't. He did for a season, and then they exercised their own will. And they went off the deep end called sin. Proverbs 22.6 is a principle. If you train up your children and put into their lives love and discipline and encouragement and godly wisdom, is there a good chance they'll turn out well? Yes. Good chance. But I know some of your stories and you have done all of that And your child has walked off the deep end. And you wonder, what is going on? It's not a promise. It's a principle. Secondly, the second peril or common mistake is we confuse conditional promises with unconditional promises. Some promises are conditional. They contain some kind of if. On our part. Some look for a condition or obedience for us before we can energize the promise from God. And yet some promises are unconditional. That means they totally depend on God to pull it off. Examples. Turn back to James chapter 1 verse 5 that we just looked at. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Verse 6, but let him ask in faith, with no doubting. 
For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And it goes on. James 1.5 is conditional. There are two requirements there found in the passage. Number one, I have to ask. Verse 5, let him ask of God. If I don't ask for wisdom, does God promise to put wisdom into my life? No. I need to understand that I am deficient. I am needy. God, please bring wisdom into my life. But the second condition is found in verse 6. I must ask in faith. If I ask Him for wisdom, I have to be assured before it even comes that the wisdom will come from God and it will be there. And if I doubt God, I don't fulfill the condition. It's a very practical use of that passage. Now, an unconditional promise is found in Genesis 12. Page 11 there in your pew Bible, very first book of the Old Testament. And this is probably one of the most profoundest promises in all of Scripture. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you notice there is no if in that statement? Do you notice that God chose Abraham and said, Abraham, this doesn't depend upon you. It doesn't depend upon your obedience. It doesn't depend on how faithfully you follow me. I am going to make you a great nation. You are going to be the father of the Jewish nation. Abraham stumbled and fell throughout his life. Did that ever impinge upon the promise that God made? The answer is no. Because it's an unconditional promise. And the blessing at the end of verse 3, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The Savior, Jesus Christ, came through the lineage of Abraham. That's an unconditional promise. So some promises are conditional or not. But I think where we often fail is we fail to take into account the context of the passage, point C. I must understand the context or the setting in which the promise was given. So if you would turn to Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to look at a promise that we, I have heard almost every church use. Matthew 18, verse 20. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. that sound familiar? I think every church that I have visited or talked to or looked at their website often uses this one verse to say, come to Wednesday night prayer meeting. Because where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now, we haven't looked at the context yet. 
If I am praying by myself, person of one, is Jesus Christ with me? Yes. Does it take a collection of two or three to come together and to say, if we don't have two or three, Christ is not going to be here in the midst of us? No. So why do we quote this verse, this promise, out of context? Well, because we're looking for a good verse for prayer meeting. And so we, we pick Matthew 18, 20. Please understand the context. Starting in verse 15 of Matthew 18, it is talking about discipline of offenders within the church. And what to do when you are wronged by another believer. The goal of the passage is reconciliation. And the context of verse 20 is prayer concerning church discipline. Look at verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. That's reconciliation. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. That's the context. And what you learn about verse 20 is two believers in Christ have a beef with each other. They're struggling to put the relationship back together. There is a process that Jesus lays out in this passage on what to do and how to do it. When you are trying to work out a difference of opinion with another believer in Christ, it sometimes get a little... Uh, angst, a little dicey, a little struggle. Do you you know what the passage is saying in verse 20? If I and another brother or sister or three of us, we have all claimed Christ as our Savior, and all of a sudden we're trying to work this out. Do you know who's in the middle of working all this out? Jesus himself. And the promise is that in the midst of this hard time, this this uneasiness of the situation, Jesus is taking notes. And as I mistreat a fellow child of God, guess who sees every bit of that? Jesus. If I use words to slander them, if I treat them with disrespect, if I disparage their faith, The Savior is saying, I am watching. I'm in the midst of this argument. Be careful how you behave. Be careful the words you use. Because when two or three are to gather together in my name, I am right there in the midst of the fray. Is that a prayer meeting? 
I, I don't think so. That is life. As I'm disciplining my child, is Jesus watching that? You better believe it. If my child is a child of God and beloved by Him, I better treat my child, no matter what their age, with care and respect and love and yet firm. Because the Savior is taking note. He's watching it all. He's witnessing it. It's not a prayer meeting. It is a promise that as I deal with broken relationships with someone else in the body of Christ, my Savior is there taking copious notes of what I'm doing. That's Matthew 18. What is the context? Every promise has a context. Figure out what it is. Fourthly, we at times have a problem of choosing our promises selectively. See, we want the promises that, pro- that give us blessing and encouragement and, and finances and a, a, a happy life. We want those promises, amen? Not all promises are like that. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. We have to take promises on both sides. Verse 5 says of Hebrews 12, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not lightly regard the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Verse 6, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Folks, that's a promise. Uh, have you memorized that one yet? No. I don't want to hear that one. See, God promises child training to every one of us of his children. And he disciplines us through persecution. Do you understand as he disciplines us, it proves to us that he loves us? Why? If I had a child, am I going to let them run wild all the time? Or am I going to say, you know what, there are boundaries to your, to your behavior. You, you need to rein this in, son. You need to show more respect, daughter. Because I love them. I want the best for them. God has given us A promise, this one here, that we tend not to quote in hard times because we are selective. God, I don't want the discipline. I want the happy times. I want the blessing. And God says, no, this is a promise that is important as well for you. So don't just choose your promises selectively. Finally, we use promises. If you would turn to Philippians chapter 4, I I think most of you have memorized this. I think most Christians turn to Philippians 4. but That tends to be a problem because we often use a promise manipulatively. 
We want God to act in a certain way. We want to bend his will towards ours just a little bit. We want promises fulfilled the way we understand them. And so we turn to Philippians 4.19. And my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen! How many of you have quoted that? We all have. We all have. We manipulate God in the process. Look up to verse 14. Let's put this in context before I say anything else. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. That would be sad, Rebecca, would it not? No church came alongside of you as a missionary, except only you, Philippians. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches of glory in Christ Jesus. Here's the context. This promise follows a description of faithful stewardship. They had already given to God. They had given to God generously to Paul to the point As you study the whole book of Philippians, you find out that they have given so much that their own livelihood was now endangered. And Paul says, don't don't worry. You you have been so generous. My God is going to take care of you because you've taken care of me. The problem is, well, we want God to take care of us. Amen? That's, That's a good thing. But sometimes... In our desire to be taken care of, we have failed to be good stewards of what God has given us. Amen? Amen. We have taken care of our needs, our desires, our wants, more of our wants. We have overspent our budget. We live above our means. And all of a sudden, we come not near the end of the month, and we don't have enough money left. And we say, oh, no. Well, my God will supply all my needs according to the riches of Christ. And I'm going, God says, I gave it all to you at the beginning of the month. And so we want to manipulate God to say, give us a little more. Well, give us a lot more. And God says, you need to learn to live within your means. And when you do that, there will be times when I'm going to bless you and take care of needs, you don't even know you're going to have until later on, but I'm going to put that resource in your pocket now. But we quote this passage, we quote this promise, and it is a promise. But some Christians have used this passage as a soft pillow for those who have squandered God's resources on their own desires, without of any thought of the work for God. 
One author said this promise is specifically for those who are faithful and devoted to their giving to Christ and His work. You take care of God's work and God will take care of you. So, we have to make sure that we're applying promises properly. Amen? Now, this morning, we've looked at one promise twice. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. This message got changed last night a little bit, because I was going to start promises actually next Sunday while I've started today. In this offering plate up here in the front are these little cards for you to stick in your wallet, your pocket, somewhere. I know the type is small. I wanted to get them. I want to see how many of these are taken this morning. And every week as we study a new promise, I'm going to give you a little card like this and you can then memorize. So next Sunday when you come back to church, now don't stay home if you don't haven't memorized it yet. Please don't do that. I know that, that would be our typical response. I didn't memorize it. I can't go. No, just mouth the words next Sunday. But I challenge you to memorize this verse. I have put them on cards. You can just put it somewhere very convenient. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Anyone here need wisdom this morning? Raise your hands. Okay. The reason we don't have wisdom, we don't ask. And we don't ask in faith. So you've got to start asking. And sometimes you need to memorize this verse so that when all of a sudden you're in a pickle, when things aren't working in your life and saying, I don't know what to do. Oh, maybe I need some wisdom. And this verse will kick into your memory and you will remember, oh God, please mobilize this promise in my life even now. And I'm going to trust that you're going to bring an answer to me and I'm going to have faith that you're going to do it. Okay? So I put them up here, come up after the service, pick them up. The reason we need wisdom in times of testing and trials is because God wants us to remain steadfast during those times. And it takes perspective and wisdom to do that. I challenge you as you read the Word of God throughout the week, as you see these promises pop out, start taking note of them. Start writing them down somewhere. But let's memorize at least one promise together. And I think as we go on through this series, there'll be other promises that will become strong and important for you as well too. God wants us to count on His promises and we need to encourage each other with them. So I'm going to ask you to do a second thing besides memorize this. As you think of people that are struggling as intercessors, would you pray for them for wisdom? You know, it doesn't say I only have to ask for wisdom for myself. I can ask for wisdom for other brothers and sisters in Christ. And we can lift each other up as a body to say, God, this person needs wisdom because of the situation they find themselves in. Please 
bring wisdom to their life to deal with this. And then you have faith. And that's a promise God would love to answer repeatedly throughout this week. Amen? Can you do that? Okay, one yes. Good, good. Let's pray.